0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us so faithfully online as well. Um, One of the things that's always interesting is when you get with a group of people and uh, you get talking about work, you immediately kind of start comparing, at least in your own mind, Uh, their work experience to your work experience, in particular some of the perks of their work experience, and you start to kind of intuitively compare them to the perks that you have with your work experience. Maybe it's flex time, maybe it's uh, in lieu of time. If you work a few extra hours, you're allowed to kind of bank those and take them later, or maybe you get paid overtime, or maybe there's some just kind of informal agreements that if you work a little bit extra, then you can just kind of take off early on a Friday afternoon. And no doubt if you're sitting there having conversations with someone and you're hearing about their work experience and what their work rules are, you're comparing them to your own. Maybe you work in an environment, as a friend of mine does, where you show up at eight, we staple you into the seat, and then someone comes by at four, pops out the staples, and you can now leave. And that's kind of just the expectation of their work world, and everybody's is different. Well, we're going to read a parable today where we're going to kind of come in contact with some different kind of rules, and I'm going to be curious and be asking for your feedback about them in a second. Uh, We're continuing through our series looking at these teachings of Jesus called parables, these unique, short little stories that he tells that kind of bring our eyes and minds opening, opening them so that we can actually see God in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. Or refreshing to see God in a way that we maybe forgot. We're helping us move in our minds and hearts to understand truly what God is really, really like. Now, I know some of these parables are very familiar. So raise your hand this morning. If you had already heard about the parable of the sower, just raise your hand. Okay? Raise your hand if you had already heard about the parable of the prodigal son. Okay? All right, how many of you ever heard about the parable of the guy who goes to work in the field, tending the sheep, it comes near the end of his work day, he comes home, and the master says to him, now prepare me a meal, and sit there patiently, and serve me while I eat and drink, and then when I'm done, you can be finished your day. I th- that's what I thought. <laughs> Thank you, Kishore. One person has heard this. So this is one of the great things about, there's some of these parables that maybe aren't as familiar to us. And they're sometimes not as familiar to us because as with today, sometimes they're a bit challenging and so preachers don't like to talk about them. But we're going to talk about this one this morning. And it's found in Luke chapter 17. One of the unique things about Luke is Luke loves to, as he puts the gospel narrative together, his account of the life of Jesus Christ, he packages it intentionally sometimes where he'll put a story right beside another story on purpose, hoping that as you go from one story to the other, there's an extra layer of comparison that takes place, and a whole other meaning kind of gets opened up to you. So the first story has its own meaning, the second story has its own meaning, but when you read one and then the other, suddenly the comparison between those two stories gives us an extra meaning, and that's what we're going to discover today in Luke chapter 17. So I invite you to turn there. If you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's on page 1626, or you can look it up electronically as well. We're going to look at just the first 10 verses. There's a few different things here that we're going to go through. Uh, the Bible commentator, or the people that kind of put the Bible together, all those little sayings that you see at the top of a chapter, those weren't part of the original text. When they put the scriptures together, a group of people sat down and said, what are we going to call this? And I don't know what it says in your Bible, in mine it says, sin, faith, duty. In the Bible I use in my office it says, difficult sayings. So this is what we're going to look at this morning. Luke 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Isn't that true? You don't need to go looking for them. You just kind of wake up in the morning and they can be there. But woe to the person through whom they come. In other words, woe to the person who actually through their behaviors and through their decisions create opportunities where other people will struggle and have temptation. It would be better for him to th- be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Here Jesus give context. He's talking about people who cause children to be led astray. So watch yourselves. That's the first difficult saying. The second, if your brother sins, how many of you have a brother that would ever sin? No. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him if he sins against you seven times in a day anybody have a brother like that and he comes back to you and says i repent forgive him now verse 5 i love because the disciples after hearing these things what do they say i'm going to need more faith if you're going to ask me to live this way i need more faith if you're calling me to this kind of a lifestyle where I'm kind of so mindful of how I live uh, that I don't impact other people's spiritual journey, and when people come to me and are kind of repeat offenders in my life, that I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to need some help with that. I'd give us more faith. Now, Jesus then it gives us two next sections that we're going to look at. Um, a statement in verse 6, and then a parable that we're going to jump into. Let's look at the, I'll read those now. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is small, you can say to a mulberry tree that had deep, deep roots that were impossible to uproot, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, Jesus is going to contrast that saying with this parable in a second. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after sheep, Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper and get ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he say to the servant because he, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Difficult sayings. Let's kind of jump into these because I want us to really, there's some things that should bother us or challenge us as we look through these passages, and I want us to make sure that we get bothered by the right things. First, we have the saying of Jesus in verse 6, where he says, if you have just the tiniest amount of faith, if your faith is small, if it's immature, if it feels like your doubts far outweigh your faith, Jesus says you can still access the power of God, even though your faith is small it's wobbly, it's, you struggle, you have difficulties, even with the smallest amount of faith. You can access the power of God just with that little bit of faith. That's verse 6. And then he jumps into verse 7, or the, the parable 7 to 10. And Jesus poses this question. Suppose you have a servant, and suppose they've been out in the field, t- tending to the sheep, working in the mud, and they come home from the field. The work day is almost done. Do you let them off early? Or do you say, no, you sit down, clean up, make my meal, sit there while I eat, serve me while I eat, and then when I'm done eating, you can have your meal. How many of you raise your hands, say, let them off early? How many of you would say, work till the day is done? Oh, you're so reluctant on this one. I'm guessing it depends on whether you're an employee or whether you're an employer, (laughs) right? If you're a manager or if you're managed, if you are an employer and you have employees, you say, work till you're done. Five o'clock has not yet come. Get back in there. You got 30 more minutes, 10 more minutes. I don't care if it's nice out. I don't care if you don't have a lot more to do. You get back in there and do your work, right? Employers, you ready to raise your hand now? If you're an employee, Mark, Sorry. If you're an employee, you think, come on, I did hard labor out there with the sheep in the fields. It's almost 4.30. It's sunny out. Come on, let me go. How many sunny days have we had this year? Hardly any, right? (laughs) Let me go early. Now, in Jesus' day, There was no labor laws. There was no unions. There was no, you know, best practices or anything like that. You just, there was masters and there was servants. And so when Jesus gives his response to this question, nobody is surprised. Because he says, no, we go back to work. That is what we do. If we come home after working really, really hard and we're tired and we get in the door and there's still work to do. We do the work that needs to be done or the work that we've been asked to do. So let's just talk about a few things that this might raise within our hearts because I think one of the gifts of this parable is it stirs up stuff in us and if the purpose of parables isn't to get a quick answer and move on. It's to pause and reflect and say, okay, when I think about that, it raises something in my heart and I need to pay attention to that because that's how discipleship works. And the first thing is about masters And servants. One of the great gifts of this parable is it reminds us of something that can easily get lost in our faith walk with Jesus Christ, and that is this: a relationship with Christ is not a relationship of equals. It's not a relationship of equals. He is the master, and we are his servants. He's holy, we're sinful. He's the creator. We're the created. He's the rescuer. We're the rescued. He's the savior. We are the ones who are lost and in need of saving. Now, most of us, if we had to take a test on this, would get that right. But the reality is sometimes in practice in our daily faith walk with the Lord, this gets mixed up. And we can start to think that he exists, God exists, to serve me. And God exists to fulfill my agenda. It happens oh so subtly in each of our hearts where we start to think that God's purpose is to help me carry out the things that I want to do. And so when Jesus invites us to pick up our cross and follow him, he's inviting us into a relationship where he is the master and we are his servants. And he can ask us to do whatever he wants. And it becomes our job to say, Lord, I will do it. And if we remember anything from the Jonah series, you can run, you can try, you can say no. And the scriptures are full of stories of people who say, I'm not so sure. I don't think I'm doing that. And we can see how those stories turn out. So that's one gift I think this passage raises with us to think about is, is there any way in which in my own heart I see God as existing to fulfill my agenda? Then the other gift of this passage is it gets us thinking about the difference between grace and deserving. Between grace and deserving. An emotion that this parable raises in my own heart is the whole issue of deserving. When you think about following Jesus, you might be tempted to think, you know what, I sacrifice a lot, I do a lot, I give a lot, I do the kind of work that is hard, I am diligent, I am faithful, and if you're this kind of a person, naturally over time, you have to fight against the temptation to think, God now owes me. I have earned up some credits with him, and I deserve some benefits. I mean, it's like a points card, right? Every time you do something, you click it, you get more points, you get more points, and then at some point, you want to cash in the points. We're tempted to think that way because it's our culture But that's not how it works with the Lord, especially when you compare yourself to other people. It's even more tempting, right? I mean, so-and-so doesn't do anything around here to lift a finger. I sit on all the boards and committees that nobody wants to sit on. I do the things that nobody wants to do, and I do not get thanked for it. I not only tithe, but then I give to all those special offerings that they're always rolling out too. They don't give anything. I go to worship faithfully. (laughs) They probably aren't here today because it's sunny out, and so they decided to come watch it online later. Do you see what I mean? And before long, all of those good things can begin to turn into, God, I deserve something from you. In fact, you owe me because of how good that I have been. I toiled out there in those sheep pens, I worked out there on that field, and I came in. It's almost time of the day, and you asked me to prepare a meal, and I prepared the meal. And I sat there, and I served you while you ate and waited for my turn to eat. You owe me. It can happen so easily within the human heart. And this parable raises the opportunity for you and I, if there's any of that within us, to pause and say, Lord, if that's the case, I need to pay attention to it and deal with it. Because there's this theme that every parable seems to find a way to sneak in this theme of grace. We've talked about deserving, and we can talk about grace. True faith is always a response to grace. True faith always comes as a result of encountering the grace of God extended to us first, and then we respond in faith because of it. And Luke is using these two passages, this little story in verse six about if you have just the wobbliest, puniest, tiniest immaturest amount of faith, and then the parable of the person who gets up early and goes out into the field and deals with the sheep and comes home and prepares the meal and cleans up after and does all of this, he's comparing the two of these and saying, you know what they have both in common? They're both debtors to the master. Because neither of them have done enough to earn the grace and the favor that Jesus has extended to all of us. Both Debtors, look at verse ten. Back at verse ten for a second, you would probably not going to want to put this on a wall hanging in your house or put this on a coffee cup. When you have done everything you were told to do—shepherding, farming, preparing the meal, cleaning up afterward—you should say, "We're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty." This is the response of a heart that recognized the amount of grace that's been extended to us. There's no participation ribbon. That's the meaning of this one. You may find this difficult. It may sound harsh. The word worthy here doesn't mean without value or meaningless. It means profitless. Think of it in terms of financial terms. You make an investment, you invest let's say $10,000 and you hope that over time that $10,000 would start to yield you a profit, maybe over two years, maybe three years, but you hope that if I'm going to make this financial investment, it's going to bring about a profit. Jesus is saying, if we keep close track of the grace that God has invested in our lives, we're profitless. We have not been able to do enough to show a profit for all that God has invested in us. There's no way that we can pay him back. There's no way that we're even going to break even. The amount of grace that he has given to us is so much more significant than anything we could ever do for him. And Jesus isn't wanting us to pay him back or pay off our debt or work to prove ourselves He wants us to recognize the significance of his mercy in our lives and then live out our life in faith, in joyful service to the master who's been so good to us. Which means we can accept our job as servants. When we recognize all that Christ has done for us, we can proudly and gladly and humbly say, Lord, I'm here to do the things that you've asked me to do. So this servant's job was in the field, it was with the sheep, it was preparing meals. What's your job in this season? What's the thing that the Lord is asking of you right now, in this season, that He's calling you to? And will you fulfill it? I think of all kinds of things. Maybe for some of you it's parenting. Uh, You know, parenting has some really rich, warm, Instagram-worthy moments, whether you're parenting little kids or young adult kids. And it also has some other moments less Instagram worthy. It can be difficult, it can be monotonous, and it can be thankless. But it's a job, and it's for a season, and we're called to it. Maybe it's serving in an area of ministry. You've been serving in this area of ministry, and we're still short some volunteers, so you're doing way more than you had originally signed up for. But this is your calling for this season, and the people that you're serving need the work that you're doing doing. Maybe you're in a season of recovering or getting well or grieving or rebuilding your life and some days it just feels like you're out in the field toiling away and it's difficult and it's hard. But this is your calling for this season to get well, to rebuild, to be cared for, to do the kind of things that you need to do to recover. What is your job in this season? And whether it's difficult. Or feels thankless, will you do it? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. I love these verses. Isaiah is writing to a group of people who've forgotten how good God is. And so he writes to remind them and he says this Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless even young people will become weak and tired and young men who are supposed to have all kinds of energy will fall down in exhaustion but those who trust in the lord will find new strength they will soar high on eagles wings eagles wings and they will run and not grow weary they will not walk and not faint i love the phrase he's the everlasting god because it has to do about time about longevity One commentator said it should be better translated, he's the outlasting God. Which means whatever season you're in and whatever calling you have right now, as difficult as it might be, God is not going to leave you. He's going to outlast that season and he's going to be with you through it all. He's not going to run the first lap and then say, sorry, I'm tired, I'm out of here. You're on your own. He's going to outlast it. Whatever season you're in, whatever job is yours at this time, he will be with you. So these are difficult sayings, but they're filled with good news. And it starts with the fact that God has made an enormous grace investment in each of our lives. And so I would encourage you, if you're struggling with, is he Lord or is, am I the Lord? Is he serving me or do I serve him? If you're struggling with feeling, do I deserve something? Does God owe me? Let's start with grace. Take some time, sit down, get a notepad out. And write all the reasons that you have, that you see God's grace first directed to you. And as you see it, and as you start to comprehend the investment that he has made and extended towards us, then you will be joyfully and gladly be his servant in whatever it is that he has called you to do. Let us pray. Lord, you're, you're worthy. You're worth our time here today. You're worth the commitment of our energy, our resources. Lord, you're worthy of anything that we could offer to you, not to pay you back or to come good on your investment in us, but just our heart response for all that you have given and all that you have done and your commitment to outlast with us this season that we're in. And So we just want to pause this morning and make sure that we have all of this right by saying you're worthy, and we give you the praise for that.